I went to get a new iPhone two weeks ago in, in Palm Springs, and I hate buying a new iPhone because I don't know anything about them. I just want it to work, okay? I said to the guy, hi, I'm Jim, and he says, put your phone down, and he's helping some other people. So he starts putting my phone together, and he goes, hmm, you worked for Starbucks, didn't you? I said, I did. And everybody starts to look up and see who, who, who he's talking to. He said, you were the CEO at Starbucks, weren't you? I said, I was. He says, I sent you an email in 2006. I said, with a real meek voice, did I answer it? <laughs> and he goes, within an hour. I went, yes. I said, what was the problem? He said, our air conditioner broke. I was so, okay, a, so but he was working at Starbucks. He at was a store time. manager. Yeah. Yeah, His okay. air conditioner broke in Palm Desert in the summer. It was 112 degrees in there. And he said, somebody at corporate was on a bonus or something. They didn't want me to buy a new one. So I sent you this email. And I said, did we fix it? And he goes, within six hours. And everybody at the table goes, yes. <laughs> and so when you do the right thing, it'll always come back. That guy will be telling that story forever. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the NordyPod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. In this episode, we're continuing to focus on the theme of creating a culture of service. Last episode, you heard a unique perspective on service from someone in a completely different industry. This time, we're turning inward to share more about how we at Nordstrom strive to keep our legacy of great service relevant in today's world. To start us off, we're going to hear directly from a Nordstrom customer as she shares her experience shopping in our stores. I have a 20-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy, and we do as much shopping as we can at Nordstrom. We have always had people in there that not just greeted me, but also greeted her. That doesn't happen all the time. After that, you'll hear from Nordstrom board member Jim Donald about what he's learned about service throughout his incredibly successful career. When you take care of your associates at every level, they take care of business. Never be bigger than the front line. If you do, your business and your personal legacy will be destroyed. Then to wrap it all up, you'll hear my conversation with our senior vice president of the Rack Division, Carl Jenkins, as we discuss his influence on our culture of service. I start out thinking that I have to have all the answers and I have to go tell people what to do. I learned quickly, though, that in leadership, in order to drive great service, I've got to get the person to believe that giving great service is what's best for them. It's a lesson-heavy episode, folks, so grab your notepads as we wade deep into the waters of Nordstrom's efforts to create a culture of service. So we started this deal with the Nordy Pod where people could call in or write in. And it's been really interesting. We've, we've learned lots of different things from customers. It's always great to hear from customers. But in this particular case, it was such a great story that we wanted to follow up on it. So we've got Paige Seamers here with us as a guest on the Nordy Pod today. Paige is a customer of ours in Houston. That's correct. And you've got Anna back there. Yes. All right. Can you say can you say hello with a smile? <laughs> hello, Anna. <laughs> All right. So, look, thanks for doing this. So, what I really want to do is just kind of talk to you about why it is that you reached out to us and, and wanted to share a, a story with us here at the Nordy Pod. Yeah. Um, 
I have a 20 year old daughter with cerebral palsy. Her name is Anna and she's sitting here. She's sitting here with me right now. And we do um, as much shopping as we can at Nordstrom. And we just really love how Anna is treated there. We have always had people in there that not just greeted me, but also greeted her. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, the challenges you go through when you, you know, got a special needs kid that you're bringing through and, and wanting to have a good shopping experience with. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that and what that journey has been like for you over the years. Um, yes, it's very hard. And yes, it's totally worth it when you find a place that is accommodating to her wheelchair that's accommodating to her wanting to be able to touch the clothing and see what it feels like. And she has all kinds of disabilities that hold her back, but it definitely hasn't held her back in things that she loves to do, which is one of them is shopping and one of them is clothing and fashion. Well, you know, the thing that really struck me, your story was a good one. I enjoyed reading it, but you included pictures which is always awesome. So you had you had pictures of Anna. It looked like it was she was dressed for I don't know like her senior picture or something like that. And it was great. I mean to see to connect the dots between whatever the experience was like to actually putting someone in clothes to make them feel good, right? And look their best. And that's really what our mission is. And you connected those dots for us. And then you were nice to send other pictures. So I, first of all, just super appreciative that you took the time. And it actually gave me an opportunity to recognize the team for doing a nice job. So you're, you're nice to share that feedback with us. Thank you. Yeah, that senior picture experience was an eye opener. I mean, before that, we had always had good service there. When we went to do makeup, I mean, the gal at the Trish McAvoy counter was like, hey, give me your phone number. I'm going to give you my phone number. If you ever need anything, just text me and let me know and I'll have it ready for her. Who does that? <laughs> she said, oh, and take a picture with me so you can put it in your phone so you'll remember who I am. I mean, that kind of service at a department store, I was just shocked. And then we went and we picked out all kinds of clothes for her senior picture. And she's a big fan of the color pink, Hello. right? Yeah. And <laughs> we picked out these clothes and we went home and, you know, tried on what would fit and what, what didn't fit. And a couple of weeks later, we came back to exchange the things that didn't fit. And the gal at the counter was like, oh, I remember you guys. Tell me how your pictures went. How was that experience? And I was just so impressed that she took the time she said, well, if you feel like it, you know, I'd love to see the pictures. Again, was shocked that someone at a department store would care enough to, number one, remember us, but also took an interest in her and wanted to see what she had done and how the clothing looked on her and what her pictures looked like. And she loved it. She lit up to have somebody, right, to have somebody, you know, show that kind of interest in her. And it was yeah. really, really a beautiful moment. Well, I, I'd like to say that we could take any kind of credit for that. But I, if you've heard my dad talk about you know, our people and stuff, he says, you know, most of that training really comes from our parents. We just try to hire nice people and give them an opportunity to, to really be their authentic selves. 
And, it, and it's so true because what you're describing there, just as an example, these are not things that you can learn in a training class or as part of a training manual. I mean, these, these are things about judgment and about listening and being present, being in the moment and really having a spirit of being of service. That's really the secret formula or the not so secret formula about what we try to do to create a point of differentiation around service. And so, again, all that stuff that you're telling me just really reinforces that. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to recognize our nice people there at Houston. So what else can you tell me about your shopping experience or, you know, Anna's shopping experience? Have you been shopping with us just for like the day-to-day types of stuff too? Or has it mostly just been about occasions? No, um, we've definitely shopped for day-to-day things as well. We have spent many a New Year's Day um, with your people at Nordstrom. Um, so why New Year's Day? What's what's the deal with New Year's Day? There's the big sale. Oh, okay. The well, that's a good sale. reason. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this New Year's Day, we um, ventured over to the children's shoes because Anna has a very small foot. Okay. She only has a size three. Oh, okay. She's still in a, yeah, she's still in a kid's size, which is a little frustrating for a 20 year old to have a kid size foot because you don't always get the shoes that you want. But we had the most lovely, I'm gonna find her name, the most lovely lady who was so accommodating to Anna. Her name was Rebecca. Rebecca took the time to really try to understand in just those few minutes how Anna communicates. She communicates through, as you can hear, vocalizations and through eye blinks. And Rebecca would bring shoes to Anna and see what her response was. And she would say to me, I don't think she likes those. Or (laughs) Anna, how about these? And we ended up with the most adorable high top Nike shoes that she loves wearing and that, you know, the thing is with clothing and when you have a disability and when you have something that makes you look different, fashion can equalize that in a way and, um, and give her something for people to talk to her about. And that's what these shoes, (laughs) which I would have never chosen but she loved them and she has gotten so many compliments on those shoes that Rebecca helped her find. That was just another experience. And after that is when I think I emailed you. Oh, that's cool. No, I, look, I really appreciate it. And it's, you're talking about, you know, fitting Anna with shoes and stuff. So you, you've got my contact information out. There's something you need and maybe it has to be special order or something. I'm happy to try to help. Well, I appreciate that. I think Anna appreciates that too. And, you know, we have really encouraged our friends who have disabilities and we've let them know. I mean, we live in West Houston. We're probably like a 30, 45 minute drive from the Galleria. So it's, it's a field trip for us to get there, but it is worth it to me to be able to take her to a place where she feels accepted, included, you know, people want to help her. And so we've encouraged our friends that have disabilities, children with disabilities, hey man, go over there, see what you think, see if you have the same experience, because that doesn't always happen. Yeah, well, look at, I mean, it, it, all that stuff just, it rings so true to me just about the way that you treat people just makes such a huge difference. And we talk about that stuff all the time. 
customers have choices and you're going to end up going to places that make you feel good and that you like and you feel like you're treated well. And so it's not lost on us that we have that opportunity to, to make a friend, to make a loyal customer. And uh, it's great to, to meet you like this and uh, you and Anna both. And uh, I just want to tell you that we appreciate your patronage, your your willingness to, to tell your story and, and to be part of the Nordy Pod. So thanks so much. And like I said, the offer stands. You need anything that we can help with, you can contact me anytime. Thank you so much, you guys. We appreciate y'all. So we just heard one customer's perspective on the service in our stores, and I'm super grateful for all our employees who have made Paige and Anna's experience so positive. The truth is we don't always get it right. So it's important to lift up these kinds of stories as an example of what we're trying to accomplish. Next up, I'm chatting with a good friend, Nordstrom board member, and super successful businessman by the name of Jim Donald. Now, Jim has had an amazing career in retail that started in grocery and actually is in grocery to this day. He's held CEO positions at companies like Starbucks, Albertsons, and Extended Stay America. Jim was even personally recruited to Walmart by its founder, Sam Walton. He's a huge asset to Nordstrom as a board member because he's had these remarkable experiences leading at scale big complex companies where his whole focus is about how to create exceptional experiences because of the way that you elevate the importance of our people and how that is instrumental in delivering great service. I think you'll agree with me that Jim's a great guy and you're gonna get a lot out of this discussion. All right, so today we've got Jim Donald, who uh, plays an important role around here. He's actually on the Norton Board of Directors, and maybe Jim can talk about what that all means. But the reason we have Jim is Jim has worked for a lot of big companies in different kinds of roles, big leadership roles. And I think one of the trademarks of what's made you successful and I think what made you, it's made you a great Nordstrom board member is that the service thing is kind of core to your DNA. So, Jim, thanks for being on the Nordy Pod. Glad to be here, Pete. I, I guess I want to start by, Jim, you know, giving people an idea of, about what your background is. Like you, you grew up in, it was in Florida, is that where you grew yeah, up? Yeah, I was in Tampa, Florida, and I'll never forget this. I was 15 years old and I was uh, shooting in my driveway, my mom was a cashier at public supermarkets, and her store manager drove up to me just as I released a little 12-foot jumper and said, hey, Jimmy, you're going to work for me tomorrow. I said, yeah, sure I am, and I popped another one, nothing but nets. I started at 7 a.m. the next Are day. Are you lefty, Jim? I saw no, you, I I saw you the, use your, this, your form there with left hand. I'm like, okay. Well, in business and in life, I've always <laughs> figured this out. you got to be able to go both ways. That's and, right. And when somebody says, we want you to go to some different state to run some different company, put that car going in that direction and get after it. So tell me about growing up. Was there an understanding or an expectation of how you saw yourself or what your future was going to be like? Well, it, it happens once you start working for a reason. I happen to like the supermarket business. And so when I started there at 15 and 16, I'm still in it now at 69. So, so what did you like about it? The people aspect of it. I liked helping people. And it's amazing to me, the more you give, the more you get. And the more people I helped, 
my store manager would see that and said, you need to be an assistant store manager. Then I'd go to another store and I'd help more people. You need to be a store manager. Then you help out all your 200 employees in a store. You need to be a district manager. So I never asked for a promotion. I never asked for anything. And, 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 and the more you get people doing the right thing, Pete, the more things get better. So at what point did it occur to you that the outcomes around service was something that was going to enable you to achieve your goals and your business goals. That service became something that was key to that. I can tell you exactly when it was. I just started full time at public supermarkets. I was 18 years old and um, I had the worst aisle ever, but I was like half the age of the other ones that were there. And so I would always get my stuff done first and then I would start helping them and I'd help them get, get done and they, they got recognized as well. But it all came back to me when someone said, hey, who should we promote out of this store? And they all would say, get Jimmy. He's helped us. We hate to see him go, but he's the guy we want to do it. And sure enough, that led to this, to that, and to the other. So how is it that you became to be known as the fixer, that, the, the guy that could create solutions out of problems? Well, first of all, this is a great segue into I always talk to graduating seniors in universities around the country. And I always say, take the job no one wants because you're never going to fail at it. The non-sexy jobs. The non-sexy jobs. And before you know it, by the way, as you know, there's no sexy job in leadership because it's hard work. It's every single day you're doing something to, to give back to people. And that's not easy. But the, the more I would go to fix these things, I would take people with me. And it's amazing what people do when you know you care about them. So you had this successful career, obviously, that you came to the attention of a guy like Sam Walton. How did that come to be? How did you get enough of a reputation that Sam Walton is knocking on your door. It's a long story, but I'll try to be quick. I say the definition of character is what you do when no one's looking. So Walmart was getting into the food business. At the time, they had just purchased McLean Wholesale. Drayton McLean, he was the guy that owned the um, Houston Astros, owned McLean. He was second generation. And so what nobody knew is that we used McLean in one of my former companies, and one of my guys threw McLean out without giving them notice. And I didn't think that was right. And I said, you're putting them back in and you're going to give the new company the money back that you took to get this business for the wholesale. And Drayton found out about it. And so Sam says to Drayton. So who found out about it? The owner, Drayton McLean. And so he worked with Sam, his vice chairman at Walmart. And Sam asked Drayton, you know the food business. Who can we get in here that's good in the food business? And Drayton said, I've never met this guy, Jim Donald, but he's got the highest ethics of anybody in the industry. And here's what happened. A day later, Sam calls me out of the blue under a fictitious name. And, And how old are you at this point? I was about 34. So still a young person. I mean, you weren't a kid, but yeah, you were yeah. a young guy. Yeah, yeah. And so he calls me out of the blue, and he's a fictitious name. And so he left it with my assistant. And it was Tom Moore, Walmart Real Estate. And I was so mad because he'd called before, and I told my assistant to put my real estate guy on the call. She said, no, Tom Moore wants to talk to you. So I'm on hold. Yes, Tom Moore, this is Jim Donald. I told you to talk to Dave McKinney. And uh, he goes, no, this is Sam Walton. I said, like hell it is. And he goes, no, I'm not feeling well, Jim. I got this cancer, but I need to talk to you. I said, I can't talk now, Mr. S- Mr. Walton. He says, call me Sam. Sam said, tell you what, I'll fly my plane into Tulsa, Oklahoma tomorrow morning. You can pick me up at the Phoenix airport at 7 a.m. And there I am waiting at the gate because you waited at the gates back then. Yeah. And here he comes off the plane with his Walmart hat on and a little fanny pack of cancer medication. Did anyone even know who he was in those no, days? He, he was got, a pretty he, anonymous he guy. last. We visited every store. Uh, we visited his stores. And he said, come up and see God's country. And I said, where might that be? He goes, Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> so I started two weeks later. <laughs> so well, talk about what you learned about service, you know, being at Publix, being at Albertsons, and then maybe what was different, what you learned about customer service 
and the culture of service at Walmart. That's a great point, and it was completely different. Sam was the toughest negotiator, the toughest on his executives, but he believed in the front line. And you know how we reversed the pyramid? Yeah. Sam did that as well. And Sam said, servant leadership is what it's all about. And he told me on his deathbed, Sam was dying on a gurney. He would die 12 hours later. The last thing he told me was, Jim, don't forget what Is he conducting business on his deathbed, yes, or are you just going to pay no, respects? No, he's chewing me out for bag expense being 0001100. But he said, don't forget what I told you. I said, I'll never forget it, Mr. Sam. He said, never be bigger than the front line. If you do, your business and your personal legacy will be destroyed. And I, from that day on, it changed the way I would lead organizations. And how long were you at Walmart? Three years. Okay. And so then you said you went to Safeway? Yeah, I was recruited by the CEO of Safeway to take over the uh, East Coast region. And how long were you there? Three years. And then I got my first CEO gig in a bankrupt company, uh, Pathmark Supermarkets. So you, you've got this career really rolling now, uh, this almost accidental career in I don't supermarkets. Know about, I don't know about rolling. Well, but. you're rolling. I mean, you become a CEO. <laughs> yeah. At, how old were you when you became a CEO? I was 42. And how long did you do that job? Six years. Yeah. And then where'd you go? Well, I got a, a call from a headhunter. He said, how would you like to run Starbucks? I said, no, thanks. I didn't so, drink. So I didn't, why'd you say that? I didn't drink coffee. <laughs> I want to so you weren't feeling it. You weren't personally connected if, to the mission. If I was selling cars, I wouldn't go run the supermarkets. But but he stayed after me. He stayed after me. I actually went out to the Hamptons. We have a store out, had a store out there, and I met with Howard Schultz. And I love the culture. I mean, the, the culture of Starbucks was like I've never seen before in any company that I've ever been with, okay? What do you mean by that? Like, what was different about their culture? Again, when you take care of your associates at every level, they take care of business. And so at Starbucks... Howard and his team were the first to put out benefits for 20 hours, gave them bean stock, stock options. Uh, after uh, 10 years, they could take a year sabbatical. It benefits, it was just unbelievable. So you've told me the story a little bit before about when you were interviewing with Howard. I'd like you to share that now. You had a couple different stories that you've told about what that was like and when you were visiting stores. Can, can you talk about that? Well, first of all, when I opened up my first board meeting, Howard BR was his name, asked me if I could give him my permission to tell the board why they hired me out of 10 candidates. And I didn't want to do that because I didn't know. And I said, okay, Howard, what was it, Howard BR? I need to get moving on. He says, Jim, and this is a great message for everybody. You're the only one of 10 candidates who picked up Starbucks trash in the parking lot on the way into the stores. That would tell us if you care enough for our brand and for our associates in that store, how you would take care of the 160,000 employees. That, okay, so that wait, we have. so you're going through the interview process. You're not hired by them. You're walk, they're showing you around stores, and as you're walking in, you see garbage on the ground, and your natural instinct is, I think I should pick this up. I did it today outside on Six Avenue. Well, but you kind of work here, outside. so I mean, you know, you okay. work for Nordstrom. That's a good point. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you knew, and I'm point. guessing you weren't anticipating someone's watching you. This wasn't for show. Character is what you do when no one's looking. Now, it's gotten to a point there where my wife won't even go shopping with me anymore because I'm. <laughs> picking up trash, putting in there because enough of the picking up trash. But I'm telling you, you just got to you got to do what's right. So when you became CEO of Starbucks, what year was that? And how big of a company was it? It was 2000. I came president okay, in 2002, president. Uh, CEO in 2005. And so when I first joined, we had um, 4,000 stores. When I left, we had 16,000 stores. And like how many employees would that have been at that we time? We had about 40,000 when I joined, 160 when I left. My, my record for handwritten notes, uh, I think it was 2005, was 33,000 handwritten notes. Okay, now I want you to talk about that because you've, you know, you're such a great person at recognizing you know, the efforts of people. And you took it upon yourself that the vehicle for that was going to be these handwritten notes, right? So talk yeah. about 
your process for that? Well, I was first given a handwritten note by the CEO of Albertsons when I was nothing but a 20-year-old putting groceries on the shelf at midnight. I still have that note. And so I so said, what did he say? Like, I he heard said, about Jim, you do a good job? Or no, like, he just said, Jim, it was great meeting you. I thought the store looked great. I look forward to seeing you around next time. I think you got a good future with this company, okay? And then I just kept it, and I still have it. But I said to myself, if the power of a handwritten note is one that you can't delete, you stop the, the reader stops time in the track because they're looking at this, why don't we just flood the gates with it? A plain time's office time. When you're traveling, that's an office time. And so I would, I, on store visits, I would make a note to do three employees, I still do this today, I do it here at Nordstrom, three employees each visit, write them a handwritten note back. So that's remarkable. So you were sending out a handful a day, sounds yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, you've had your own personal experience of the impression that we had on you, but when did you get feedback loop from doing that job that you knew this was resonating with people. Did you hear, did it become a thing? Like people said, oh, I got a, a note from Jim Donald. So the COO of Albertsons today is Susan Morris. We have a bunch of stores in Hawaii and she was over there 2019. I had come back, okay, as the CEO. And she goes, you're not going to believe this. And she sent me a picture. And there was a handwritten note. They had hired a Pathmark store manager back in 1996. This is 2018, 2019. And there was my handwritten note to the store manager. In Come, Hawaii. In Hawaii. She took it with her and she put it on her computer. Wherever she went to, she would take that handwritten note. God, that's amazing. I mean, I, I see that occasionally, too, because we, you know, we you write notes for different things and you don't think much about it in the moment. But then when you're out visiting stores and you yeah. could be at someone's desk or whatever and you see something that's there. Yeah. Yeah. You recognize the impact it can make. Well, well Pete, I've had the opportunity to talk to Fania's group and to Gemma's group. OK, and these are just so people know, these are two of our regional managers for us here at Nordstrom. And yeah. I talked about handwritten notes and my gosh. Did I get handwritten notes back in? I got one today from Abby Larson, the district manager of the Nordstrom Rack in Colorado and Utah. I mean, the note that I got from Abby today, it just, it just it makes me cry. Her team actually thinks it's pretty cool that a board member talked to them. Yeah, it is cool. About stuff, you know? Hey, so Jim, first of all, thank you for being part of our board, but it's been fascinating to watch you not just be a board member, but like be a board member plus. And what I mean by that is <laughs> people might not realize you're out in our stores all the time. And not because it's your assignment or you have to do thing. It's because it's what you sincerely are interested in. You guys do it. You know what it's about. The associates that are here, this know what it's about. You guys have a zillion stories about Nordstrom customer service. My story is this. It's 730 in 2016, in the evening, I'm eating dinner and there's a ring at my doorbell and there's Blake with my alterations bringing them on the way home. He goes, hey, I just thought I'd pick these up for you on, on the way home. And so that just embodies what all of you do every single day. If When I see that, I want to just encourage people to keep doing it. High five them, send them a hand. No, do it, do it, do it. Pete, everywhere I go. This, the Nordstrom service level is just at an all-time high. It can be a rack and palm desert. It can be the New York flagship store. It doesn't matter where it's at. And nobody knows who I am when I go into the stores. They do when I leave because I always call the store manager up to introduce myself. But I always walk around the store first. I've gotten thrown out of more back rooms probably than any board member around. Do you go uh, in the back rooms uninvited? Do you start walking yeah, back? Yeah, but then I get <laughs> I get caught and I just say, okay, here's my employee number. I'm a board member. And uh, uh, But it, it's it's real. It's it. You can touch it. You you can feel it. You can see it, not just here in Seattle, but in every store, every Nordstrom store that I go into. So I, I swear to God, every time we talk about this, you said, Pete, my advice for you is get out there more. Get, you know, you, you've got this big job. you got to leverage yourself, have people do a lot of stuff so you could be out there and kind of flying that flag. These are my words. But is that how you see it? Like the, the role that Eric, Jamie, and I, people name Nordstrom, how we can add a lot of value to this business? Pete, I, I, I've told you this before. 
your legend in your visits because you're, you're doing things because you've done them all. So so is Eric and so did Blake. But when when you go to the stores, the the I, I see I see the the wash after that boat sailed through there, and it is so big and it is so powerful because they just love the fact that you're out there talking business with them. It's the most important thing we as leaders can do. It really is. Yeah. And so you, Eric, and and Jamie, you guys are the brand ambassadors, as long with everything else too. And and I love the fact I didn't know this that you do the state of the company. I was telling Eric I want to go on a trip next time with somebody. I want to do that. I yeah, to go. they're they're fun to do. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, and then, then you hear it all. Well, I want to let you know that you make an impact. And because I hear about it, you know, to your point about creating that wash or the wake, and it's a positive one. And yeah. I hear about it all the time. Like, oh, I got this board member, this Jim Donald guy came in and like, you know, it, it's impressive to people when someone's on the board and cares because you, you come across in such an, an authentic way. And it is, it's true. This is, this is no gimmick. This is who you are and it's why you've been successful. So it's reason I invite you to do this. You're a great board member and you really help us perpetuate this culture of service. So thank you, Jim. One last thing. You see what the back of my sweatshirt says, Pete? I think it says Nordstrom. Yeah, I so see I'm that. So I'm down on the sales floor with Jim Ferguson and people are asking me, hey, can you can you help me out here? I says, I can't, but I know somebody who can. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove Ferguson crazy. Yeah, then we'll see how you are at selling suits or clothes. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for being right, on the thanks, podcast. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate that. So, hey, keep it up, everybody. So to finish us off, we're going to hear from our senior vice president of the Rack Division, Carl Jenkins. Carl is one of those guys where the customer service proposition and its importance comes to him supernaturally. I think you'll get that impression when you hear him talk about it and how it's such an authentic part of his DNA and approach to leadership. All right. Do you got to put your phone down, Carl? All right, you ready? I'm going to keep you on track here. It's down. This is a professional effort we've got going here. (laughs) (laughs) So today we've got Carl Jenkins here, and Carl has worked for us for how long now, Carl? 30 years. 30 years. And Carl's responsibility now is he runs our rack stores. I mean, how many stores do we have now? 252. 252. So... I want you to tell your story about how you got started here and really what your career journey has been like at Nordstrom. Okay. I started at age 18, and I was a stock person in the shoe department at our opening at our Mall of America store. Yeah, in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, Minnesota. I had moved in from Georgia. I had a relative that worked at Nordstrom. Talk about word of mouth reference. Um, It was kind of one of those things where... I think he worked out a deal with my parents that he could get me a job if, if they could get me to Minneapolis, and it, it, it worked out. I went there. So wait, so you like Gretchen in high school, I, trying to figure out what you want to do, and it says, how about coming to Minneapolis and working at Nordstrom? exactly right. Did you know what Nordstrom was? I had no idea, and when I left, <laughs> I thought I was going to Neiman Marcus. Um, <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, but I heard a couple things that really resonated with me. Number one, it was... Use good judgment. Go take care of the customers. Make it easy. And number two, it was you can grow here. We're a promote from within company. And if you use good judgment, you have good results, you're going to be able to take on more responsibility. And that resonated with me. So I got out of the stock room onto the sales floor and I started growing from there. There was an experience on the sales floor, though, that that really 
brought it all home for me. We were in the middle of a sale and a lady walks in, um, her name is Penny, and I could just tell she was totally flustered. I could look at her and tell. And I walk up to her, I say hello to her, and she's like, it's just too busy. Like, she couldn't wrap her head around how crazy it was in the store at that time. Was it crazy? We were in the middle of a sale. It yeah. was crazy. Okay. And so I, I, I said, all right, let's walk over here. I took her to Salon Shoes. <laughs> a little quieter We there. sit down over there, yeah. and it just so happened she had a wide foot. So I sit her down. We start working, and, and I'm, you know, helping her out. Her husband comes up 45 minutes into it, and she says, I found some shoes. And he's like, you did? And she said, they're expensive. And he said, ooh. And I'm getting excited now, right? We're, I'm a commission salesperson. So how salesperson. expensive were these shoes, by the way? Uh, a few hundred dollars okay. for a couple of them and you know, a couple hundred dollars a piece for some of the other yeah, ones. So was a good found, sale. We days. had a yes pile yeah. and, and it was moving. Yeah. And so play that forward a couple weeks. It all goes well. We get her shoes. She gets boots. She gets all casual dress and boots. She gets everything. We finish this off and I get a note couple weeks later from her husband telling me that they had come to Nordstrom in Minneapolis just for shoes. And when his wife walked onto the floor, she was totally disappointed because she was worried that she couldn't get help on such a busy day. I didn't know that. We don't know what people walk in with, right? Right. And so it turns out he is an author. Few weeks later, he comes in, you know, like with a camera taking pictures of me on the sales floor. Later, he writes a note to Eric and sends a book. Um, I'm in the service industry. I do this for a living. And they called me out. Like I got a letter from an author about service. So what I'm trying to say there yeah. is that when, when, when you talk about random acts and how giving service can take us forward, for me, that brought it home for me like that i had gotten recognition for doing a, a a natural thing which was just walking up to a person and saying hi how are you and trying to offer help but it all boils down to you know this fundamental belief that we will do well when we make people feel good and look their best. What does it take in order to do that? That's right. Okay, so you're doing that job, but then you start getting promoted, right? And you become a manager and a buyer, and then you're doing different things. So how did your perception about service and your responsibility now to lead it evolve? Well, you know, at first, I start out probably like a lot of other people in leadership thinking that I have to have all the answers and I have to go sort of tell people what to do. I learned quickly, though, that that wasn't a means to accomplishing anything. I had to understand what people wanted out of this. And if I'm going to give them coaching, the coaching had to tie into what they were trying to, to get done. And so I would, in order to drive great service, I've got to get the person to believe that giving great service is what's best for them. We have goals. We have things that we want to accomplish. They always tie in to what an individual wants and just trying to help people develop careers. This was something that was really important to me. If this company can take me from being a stock person to enabling me to be a store manager, I want to help this company succeed, one. And two, I want to continue to create great jobs for other people just like, the, just like it happened with me. Just think of this. So because I said I wanted to be a rack regional manager, that was the job that, you know, that was in my reviews, what do you want to do? About a year into being a rack store manager, I said, I want to be a regional manager for the rack. Like, I, that is it. That would be the best job. I'd say that to Brent Harris, and he was my leader at the time. He was the regional manager. And he, he remembered that. And when Michigan Avenue opened, 
I got a chance to go be a part of that. And a part of that, you know, conversation with him was, you said you wanted to be a regional manager. We're going to remodel this store. We're going to touch everything that a customer sees. We're going to do this gigantic amount of volume. I'm not going to say the number, but like, we're not going to close the store for one day. And we need somebody to lead the team through that. We need somebody to lead the remodel. And we're going to give you the experience of learning about construction and about planning and about project management and about really collaborating and with And basically people. changing the tires while the car is driving down while the road. While you're flying the plane, you're yeah. going to tear it apart yeah. and you're going to rebuild it. And we're yeah. going to do all these things. And these are the experiences that you will get. And you will need those as a regional manager. So this is a good assignment for you. Like that amount of thought went into how this could benefit me. Right. It stood out to me and it still stands out to me this day that he would even think about, you know, those things. So you're a senior vice president now, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it's getting promoted from, you know, where you're doing to running all our rack stores out of Seattle now. Yes. And so, you know, the stakes get higher, right? Yeah. And, and so now I get a chance to work with teams, sort of this network of people in planning in merchandising, in transportation, in store environment, all these different groups of people coming together around one cause, which is to make our business better through giving great service. Yeah, so I want you to kind of touch on that because, again, you've gone from a role where you're trying to fit in and you're trying to follow along with what the expectations of service are to some that literally sets the bar of what that means. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious how that makes you feel where you sit now about creating a culture of customer service as really what we talk about, the biggest differentiator we have and probably the biggest catalyst we have for success. So when I first got my job, I sort of I went on a listening tour. I went out to hear what are the things that you think we ought to be doing? What are the things that we could be doing better? What are the things our customers are asking us for? And what are the things that are getting in your way? To create a culture of, of improvement, you got to go understand those things directly from the floor and then get working on it. Because now we can put resources behind those things. And so it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of taking every individual customer concern that comes forward and really digging into that and trying to make sure that if one person's saying it, it could be happening a lot. How are we you know, solving for and fixing those things? But most importantly, there's nobody there to solve for the problem. We're all here to solve for the problem. There's no they, it's we. If we listen to the folks that are on the floor and what they are living every day, we can solve a lot of the problems that the customers that we're trying to serve are running into. It's leaning in because you've asked questions and you're listening. Yeah, it can't be canned. It can't be pre, you know, rehearsed. You can't know what you're gonna, you know, say and do. But like, yeah, customers will hand me their shopping list if if they know that I'm really there to help them and really there to take care of them. And if they know that I'm not just there trying to sell them something. I mean, even when I sold on the floor, it's like I'm not selling. I'm giving you options. This is about problem solving. It's about locking eyes with the person across from you understanding what they're here for. And it's in that conversation, and I witness this all the time, that the, the, the bond starts to form between the customer and our person. And you see this thing evolve, and we've got great examples of people out there that have been taking care of the same customer and their family, even next generation, for 20 and 30 year careers. Okay, so Carl, 
you know, you don't report to me directly, but you're certainly in my orbit. We we <laughs> end up being in meetings together or having reasons uh, to be connected and working on stuff. So I think in that spirit of I need to do a good job listening to, I'm curious what advice you have for me and what you're looking for from the company that can help unlock and enable you to do your job better. What, what do you have for me here that I need to know? Trust, but verify. Trust, as, but verify. As, as much in the way of engagement with the people that are either on the front lines or here in our corporate center, trust that our culture is real and strong and that a lot of people believe in it and try to live it every day. And verify that by just being out and experiencing and learning from our folks what they're going through. Like that, your presence in these conversations, any conversations that we're having matters so much because of who you are. Very humble person, you would never want me to say something like that on air, but but yeah, like your presence in a conversation. Meetings happening, you dropped in on one of our meetings once just to say hello to the group and it mattered so much just to have had you be there for, you know, a very small amount of time. Yeah, no, I appreciate that feedback. One of the last things I think I'll leave you with is that you're that person for the 20,000, whatever people you lead. You have not only that responsibility, but also that authority and ability to make an impact. So I, I would say to you, do you feel that responsibility? I absolutely feel that responsibility. And so I have that conversation with department managers and store managers every day because all the way up our inverted pyramid it's true folks have their eyes on you and they are they are looking at you as that example you know you're telling me this stuff about myself and i appreciate that and i also tell that to the people that i support you can be that force multiplier you can be that person that drives so much change and so much good because you are the example for people that see you as the person that they want to be like i see it i i understand that and i do my very best to make sure that others see that as well in themselves. All right, Carl, it's not a coincidence that I asked you to be on the podcast to talk about service. I mean, I, I chose you because you're good at it. I think you're really articulate about our mission. I think the experiences that you've lived make your point of view on all this super authentic and real to people. And I, I think they see that and it's genuine and I think it's super impactful. And I know, because I know you, that ultimately, you want to go someplace where you can make an impact. And I just want to let you know that you do. And so, first of all, I, I appreciate the job that you do. It's a tough job, but you do make an impact. And I, and I like how you've been able to articulate the culture of service and that how that enables so many great things to happen here. So thank you, Carl Jenkins. Thank you. Well, that's the show. We're really glad you're with us on this journey, and we hope you keep listening. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe to the Nordy Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please take a minute to give us a like, a share, and a review so other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, head to nordstrom.com slash nordypodcast, where you can listen to episodes, see upcoming guests, and learn about how to get involved. We really want to hear about your experience with Nordstrom, so if you have a story about how you received great service or even bad service, send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail, and you just might hear your voice on a future episode of the show. That number is 
594-0526. So don't be shy, drop us a line and be part of the Nordy Pod. And be sure to follow us on our newly added Instagram page, at the Nordy Pod, to stay up to date on new episodes, announcements, and more. And make sure to tune in next time when I sit down with co-founder and executive chairperson for On Running, Casper Copetti. Both my co-founder, Olivia, and myself, we're very emotional people, and we try to stay positive, and it's all about managing energy and, and exercise, running, movement in general, are great tools to do that. There are many different you know, ways of, of running and exercising, and sometimes I just need to get away from it all. I don't wear a watch. I don't, you know, record my my times on Strava on those runs. It's all about decompressing and opening up the mind. At other times, I'm feeling like, uh, you know, I want to break records. And, and how do you capture all these emotions and turn them into products and, and make things out of them that others can relate to? That's really where, where the inspiration comes from. This is a really great conversation because Casper has such an authentic motivation for launching their athletic shoe brand. And their growth has happened so rapidly and organically. I mean, if you haven't heard of On yet, just take a look around. Like for example, I was just in the airport and I swear, so many people are wearing these shoes. It is really a phenomenon. You're going to start noticing these shoes on feet everywhere you go. So join us next time on the Nordy Pod.